0: Tonight, on TuneFM's Throwback Thursday, as we celebrate 50 years, 1972. They have done this. I mean, this is a deliberate act. These people were not hurting anyone. It was a peaceful assembly. We're joined by Mr. Darren Gorry, lecturer at the Uralla Aboriginal Centre, and Ms. Marcel Burns, lecturer in law, to discuss the opening of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy on the 26th of January, 1972.
1: The most dis- despicable action that I've seen government perpetrate in my 20 years in public life. This
0: is 50 Years of Tune FM, 1972. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, where we are joined by Mr Darren Gorry and Miss Marcel Burns, who are going to be talking with us about the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, which opened back in 1972. How is everybody?
1: Good, thank you. Yeah, very Jacob. good,
0: thank you. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. I think let's start with a little bit of background. What was going on in Australia uh, in terms of Aboriginal land rights and Aboriginal rights in general in the early 1970s in the lead-up to the tent embassy being established? Marcel, did you want
1: to? (laughs) Okay, right. Well, basically what was happening is that Aboriginal people were living under a system of oppression. Um, There was very little... Um, autonomy for Aboriginal people and very little return of traditional lands to Aboriginal groups to re-establish an economic base. So um, the tent embassy was established in response to the the lack of government granting of land rights to Aboriginal peoples but also as a reflection of the little progress that had been made since the 1967 constitutional referendum which gave the federal government power to make laws with respect to Aboriginal peoples and at the time there had been very little change in the material conditions and that people were living under since the 1967 referendum. So I think by 1972, things had come to a head and people weren't satisfied with the lack of progress on those fronts.
2: But uh, I think basically starting from the 1960s onwards, um, there was a real movement within the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community um sort of get more equal status much like what was happening in the usa and we see things like the freedom rides like the start of the land rights movement with the wave hill walk off um court cases in the northern territory by aboriginal groups to gain uh control over the land that they traditionally were custodians of so um, I think, yeah, the as Marcel said, the Tent Embassy was kind of like a focal point for all those things that were happening around the country from the late sixties through to the early seventies.
1: Also, on the international stage, we saw the development of human rights instruments in the 1960s, such as the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant on Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, which um, said that all peoples had the right to self-determination and that means the right to govern your own affairs, to be able to establish your own political institutions and the like. So this growing awareness of human rights on the international stage also provided a catalyst for the civil rights movements, calls for greater equality for Aboriginal peoples. And and this was part of the thinking behind the people who established the 10 Embassy to raise awareness of the lack of human rights for Aboriginal Aboriginal peoples in Australia?
2: I think um, it's probably important to look at why why Aboriginal people wanted land. So, you know, it was more than just the idea that the land was taken from Aboriginal people. Land was the means which Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people supported themselves prior to, you know, the... Uh, colonisation, the settlement of Australia by European Australians. And, you know, to get the land back was a way of becoming self-sufficient again. And certainly, you know, with Wave Hill, that played a big part in the strike there and eventually um, as probably part of the 10th Embassy Successful outcomes. And because of the change of government that Marcel mentioned earlier, those people were able to get control of their land. Um, Gough Whitlam gave them the title to that land and they built a successful beef export company as a result of that. So, you know, um, that's a case where obviously getting the control of the land back showed that Aboriginal people could be self-sufficient, so.
1: Yeah, I think the other issue for me is that um, while self-determination was government policy from 1972 into the sort of early or sort of mid-1990s, In the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen a serious winding back of Aboriginal control over Aboriginal affairs and increasing levels of intervention into Aboriginal communities with um, policies such as the Northern Territory intervention and the subsequent Stronger Futures legislation, which have really um, been disempowering for Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory and people feeling like, you know, the increased levels of government control are undermining people's fundamental rights to be able to manage their own affairs. And and that's been a very um, disheartening experience for a lot of Aboriginal people subjected to those laws. So I think that highlights the need for a more responsive government approach to dealing with Aboriginal people that puts control of Aboriginal affairs back in Aboriginal hands. We've had intervention for over 200 years and that hasn't been able to address a lot of the social economic issues that Aboriginal communities face. So the 10 embassy is a constant reminder that um, that's what Aboriginal people want.
0: You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1972, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Elsewhere in 1972, in June, five White House operatives are arrested for burglarizing the offices of the Democratic National Committee. This is the start of the Watergate scandal, which would end the Nixon presidency in 1974. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and this is Everybody Plays the Fool by the Main Ingredient. Neither the president, obviously, or anybody in the White
2: House, or anybody in authority in any of the committees working for the re-election of the president. Have any responsibility for it?
0: You're listening to Throwback Thursday, 1972, the Aboriginal Tent Embassy with Mr. Darren Gorry and Miss Marcel Burns. Yeah, so speaking of those people who uh, established the Tent Embassy, it was all initially the effort of four men, wasn't it?
1: That's correct.
2: Yes, it snowballed fairly quickly, though, from the four men to a lot of other Aboriginal and eventually non-Indigenous Australian support as well.
1: Yes, well, the the four initial instigators of the 10 Embassy, Tony Currie, Michael Giller Anderson, Billy Craigie and Bert Williams, really went down to Canberra and wanted to highlight the lack of equality for Aboriginal people, the lack of land rights for Aboriginal people. So, erected an embassy on the lawns of the old Parliament House, which at the time constituted a, a beach umbrella and a couple of placards. So, but it soon grew into um, a well-supported presence in Canberra with, within a few days, a couple of hundred people had gathered and that grew to thousands within in a few months. So. Really became a symbolic gesture to demand greater attention for the rights of Aboriginal peoples and the conditions Aboriginal people were living under at the time.
0: What was the response like from the public, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, and from the government?
2: I think the public were largely supportive. At least, you know, certain sectors of the public were largely supportive, but. Um, the government and more conservative members of the public, I guess, tended to take a very negative view, I guess you could say, (laughs) of the embassy and what was going on there. Um, you know, uh, the government tried to shut it down a number of times unsuccessfully, um, just kept coming back again. Um, there were a few arson attempts on the embassy in various stages. Um, So, you know, uh, there were some people who raised question about whether it should legally be there. And I think, you know, Gary Foley answered questions about why Aboriginals needed an embassy early on when he said that, well, we're aliens in our own country. So like other alien populations, we need an embassy to represent our positions and our rights.
1: Mm. Uh, I think also like the the embassy gathered a, a lot of support from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people because it really was a symbol of people's disaffection with the way politics were running in Australia at the time and and the lack of recognition of first peoples so the support amongst the Aboriginal community was, was very strong. I think from the general public perception, um, on one level, it was probably a source of embarrassment because it highlighted some of the failings of the Australian government's treatment of Aboriginal peoples. But there was also a lot of support from non, non-Aboriginal people for the ten, the ten embassy because it articulated a set of concerns that I think a lot of Australians were also feeling uncomfortable with at the time.
0: Absolutely. So what role does the Tent Embassy continue to play today? That's almost 50 years on now.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the same issues are still around. Um, So, like, there's no real land rights in Australia still for Aboriginal people. Um, There's no sense of sovereignty, like uh, New Zealand has the Treaty of Waitangi, which allows Maori representation inside the parliament. Um, There's nothing equivalent in Australia. It's been talked about for a number of years now. And, you know, we've had no real progress, even under, you know, someone more progressive in thinking like um, Malcolm Turnbull, there was no real progress. He couldn't really see any way that it could happen, which was very disappointing. Um, So, you know, I think it it speaks to those sorts of concerns today and...
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I totally agree with what you said, Darren. I think the the tent embassy is just as relevant today as it was back in 1972 when we look at the socio-economic conditions that a lot of Aboriginal people live under, um, the failure to deliver national land rights by successive governments, We have a native title system which only delivers access to land for a a limited number of Aboriginal people and the issues of self-determination, sovereignty and treaty are still very much alive today. We saw that in the discussions on constitutional recognition over the last 10 or 12 years that issues of sovereignty and treaty keep being raised by Aboriginal people. The view amongst a, a lot of Aboriginal people is that uh, sovereignty was never ceded and that that is an issue that needs to be addressed by um, Australian governments to, to, you know, reset the relationship with Aboriginal people on an equal footing one based on, on mutual respect. So these issues are very much alive. I think it, um, has came to a head again back in 2012 when Tony Abbott made a statement on the 26th of January that the protesters at the Aboriginal tent embassy just need to move on and he really failed to appreciate that a number of the um, political claims of Aboriginal peoples have not been addressed in the, the subsequent 40 years and here we are almost 50 years on in terms of greater control for Aboriginal people over their own affairs and and the returns of land so Aboriginal people can establish an economic base.
0: You've been listening to Throwback Thursday, 1972. Elsewhere in 1972, in January, NASA's space shuttle program is officially launched by President Nixon. The purpose of the program was to create a reusable spacecraft with the ultimate goal of reducing the cost and increasing the frequency of space exploration. The first fully functional space shuttle was Columbia, which would open its first mission in 1981. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, this is I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash. listening to throwback thursday 1972 the aboriginal tent embassy with mr darren gorry and miss marcel burns so there is definitely a, a still a very big need for the tent embassy what kind of things has it um, played a role in achieving over the 50 years since uh, its establishment
1: okay so immediately um, um, following the establishment of the tent embassy we had a change of federal government in 1972. So the Whitlam government introduced um, land rights in the Northern Territory and also established um, self-determination as government policy. So with that, we saw a dedicated um, Federal Department of Aboriginal Affairs and greater control over service delivery in Aboriginal communities um, being delivered by Aboriginal people. So these were some of the gains that the Ten Embassy brought about and also Aboriginal land rights legislation in other states such as New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. So some of the initial demands were met, but um, perhaps we could say they haven't gone far enough to um, settle the um, political claims of Aboriginal people.
2: They haven't been sustained, I guess, you know, Um, the early gains were short-term gains, and then they went back to the status quo, I guess. Um, But I think one of the really significant things that the Aboriginal Tent Embassy did was it was one of the first places where nationally the Aboriginal flag was recognised as a symbol of Aboriginal people, so... Um, you know, before that, it had really only been flown once in Adelaide, South Australia, on uh, a National Aborigines Day or something. I think it was from memory. But uh, once it, you know, was associated with the Tent Embassy, it really became a national symbol for Aboriginal people and a way of seeing themselves represented. So.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was also important in terms of establishing a national political consciousness across Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and providing a platform for those um, rights to be asserted at the national level, so it's very effective in bringing those issues to a national audience and also to an international audience um, to highlight the plight of Aboriginal people in this country. Absolutely.
0: Well, as we've mentioned, it is still around today for anyone who might be down in Canberra or interested at all. Whereabouts is the tent embassy? And what is it made up of?
1: Uh, Well, it's still sitting on the lawns of the old parliament house in Canberra. I haven't been there for quite a while myself, but um, yeah, there's tents and um, tin sheds and other basic infrastructure, um, which you know, stands in contrast to the vast wealth around in Canberra and the um, buildings that signify the, you know, Australian government's centre of power there.
0: All right. Well, thank you both so much for uh, joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and uh, hopefully we'll be able to hear from you again as we continue throughout this 50 years of tune FM's history and come across some other important times in uh, recent indigenous history as well.
1: Okay, great. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Jacob.
0: You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Don't forget to join us next week. We'll be talking about a significant event from 1973. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1972, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Join us next week as we talk about the wounded knee occupation of February 27th, 1973.